Actually, we are happy to have each one of you here today for our Sunday morning worship service. If you're visiting with us today, we're happy and honored to have you with us, and we invite you back anytime you can be here with us at, at McCoysville. As you know, today is the first day, not just the first Sunday, but the first day of another new year. 2023. And you know today and during the next few days probably, you'll probably hear or see the common greeting or expression there on the screen from friends or on TV or definitely on social media and many other places. Happy New Year. So today in this first sermon of the new year, I want us to think about and focus on one word in that common expression. Happy New Year. That's not the word new, and it's not the word year, it's the word happy. Today we're continuing on with a series that I believe I started back in August. Questions that deserve answers. So far in this series, we studied the answers to these five questions. Is the Bible truly the word of God? Was Jesus truly the Son of God? Is there only one true church? Is baptism necessary for salvation? And can we know that we are saved? And we've studied from the Bible why the answer to each one of those five questions is yes. So the question that we're thinking about and studying today is one, as I said, that has to do with the word happy, as in Happy New Year. And I believe it's a good one for us to think about as we begin another new year. Today, the question that deserves an answer is the question, does God want us to be happy? Does God want us to be happy? Now, unlike the other five questions that we've studied so far, that can all be answered with an absolute definite yes, this question today can be correctly answered with both a yes and a no. And you'll see why that's true as we go through the lesson today. So what does it mean to be happy? What does that mean? What is happiness? Well, a couple of dictionary 
definitions are a state of well-being and contentment or joy, a pleasurable or satisfying experience. Here are a few quotes on happiness. Now some of you ladies, or maybe the men too, might appreciate this first one. Whoever said that money can't buy happiness didn't know where to shop. Some people bring happiness wherever they go. Others bring it whenever they go. You got to think about that one. Most folks are as happy as they make up their minds to be. Abraham Lincoln said that one. Happiness is nothing more than good health and a bad memory. Happiness is the time between periods of unhappiness. Happiness makes up in height for what it lacks in length. And as the old song says that some of you my age may remember, don't worry, be happy. Happiness is a, a very important subject for a great many people. You know, in our, in our 21st century American way of life, happiness is paramount. The most important thing. Happiness is even mentioned in our nation's founding documents. In 1776, in the Declaration of Independence, Thomas Jefferson wrote, we hold these truths to be self-evident that all men are created equal, that they are endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights, that among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. So, back to our subject today, our question. Does God want us to be happy? As we already said, the answer is yes, and the answer is no. Does God want us to be happy? Yes, God wants us to be happy, but only happy in the way that he defines happiness and only pursuing happiness in the ways that he permits and commands. So there's the yes. Does God want us to be happy? No. Not if the pursuit of happiness takes us into realms of sin which doesn't lead to real happiness in the end. You know, there's a, there's a brand, you could say, of generic Christianity that's become very popular today. And it's sometimes called the prosperity gospel. 
or another name for it might be the health and wealth gospel. It's preached and taught by many TV preachers, and it's found in many popular so-called Christian books. The man who might be considered the father of the modern prosperity gospel was this man, Or Roberts, that so-called faith-healing preacher, became so influential that he started his own school, Or Roberts University. And at the height of his influence, Or Roberts led a ministry that brought in $110 million a year. Kenneth Copeland also became one of the most famous and wealthiest of these prosperity preachers. Those men paved the way for the TV preachers that became very well known in the 1980s, like Jim and Tammy Faye Baker, Benny Hinn, and Pat Robertson. Today, some of the best-known prosperity teachers are, are Joel Osteen, Paula White, and David Jeremiah. And you know their message sounds good. It feels good. That's what makes it appealing to people. Their message basically says, God has good things in store for you. God wants you to enjoy life and prosper in every way. In other words, God wants you to be happy. But you know, in reality, it's a very subtle and devious message from Satan. You know, Satan can take a truth or a partial truth and turn it around and suck people in and ultimately take them away from God. Truth is, God wants us to be happy, yes, but real happiness, everybody get this, real happiness is the result of being in a right relationship with God. Amen to that. Real happiness doesn't come from just experiencing the good and the easy things in life. Real happiness doesn't come from getting everything we want. The prosperity gospel says that if we just come to God, accept Christ in our hearts, say the sinner's prayer, then he'll bless us with everything we want. And everything will always work out. And we'll always be happy. And because God wants you to be happy, God only has good things in store for you. Now, if we buy into that message, if we buy into that that mindset, then we have reduced God 
to something like a heavenly, you could say a heavenly Coke machine. We put in our spiritual quarters, we say a little prayer, we pick what we want by pushing a button, and we expect God to deliver. And if what we pray for doesn't come out of the slot, then we blame God. Because there's something wrong if God wants me to be happy, and yet I'm not. Here is another huge mistake that many, many people today make in their understanding of the idea that God wants me to be happy. Many, many people today use the idea that God wants me to be happy to justify their sin. To justify their sin. And here are four examples of that. And there are many, many others. For example, a man and a woman who aren't married move in together. And they live together in fornication. And they justify that sinful relationship by saying, well, he or she makes me happy. And God wants me to be happy. A parent, a parent neglects their children's spiritual growth in pursuit of their own career or their recreation or their social life. And they justify that by saying, but this makes me happy. And God wants me to be happy. A young adult is caught up in sexual activity with a girlfriend or a boyfriend and justifies it by saying, but I love them and they make me happy and God wants me to be happy. And a big, big justification that we often hear today for same-sex relationships and marriage includes the idea, well, they love each other and they make each other happy. So what could be wrong with that? So believing that God wants us to be happy and therefore that gives us an excuse to do whatever we think will make us happy you see, that is totally wrong and sinful. Does God want us to be happy? Yes. Does God allow us to decide what makes for happiness? That's a big no. That's a big no. If we really care if we really care about whether God wants us to be happy, then we'll care about what kind of happiness God wants for us. You know, there are a great many things that we think will make us happy in this life. But in the end, 
So often they really don't. For example, we think that material possessions will make us happy. We think that pleasure-seeking will make us happy. And you know, sometimes we think that revenge will make us happy. Revenge is sweet, right? But whatever happiness that we might find in any of those things or many others is only temporary. It's only temporary because new things get old. Earthly pleasure is momentary, temporary. And in Romans 12, 19, God says, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. You see, God's definition of happiness is very different from ours. The happiness of God is not based on physical and material things. And in the end, only the God who created us and knows us can bring us to a place of true happiness. Psalm 68, verse 3 says, But may the righteous be glad and rejoice before God. May they be happy and joyful. You know the word happy is used 22 times, 22 times in the New King James Version of the Bible. The word blessed or blessed is a word that carries the same idea of happiness. And that word is used 294 times in the New King James Version. And a study of those verses where either of those words are used shows us that happiness, as viewed by God, always has to do with a spiritual exercise, not physical things of the world. Happiness involves service to God that has an eternal hope. Here are just a few examples. Psalms 1, 1 and 2 says, Blessed or happy is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the path of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scornful. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law he meditates day and night. Psalms 41, 44 verse 15 says, Happy are the people whose God is the Lord. Psalms 146 verse 5 says, Happy is he whose hope is in the Lord his God. Proverbs 3.13 says, Happy is the man who finds wisdom and the man who gains understanding. Proverbs 28 verse 14 says, Blessed or happy is the one who fears the Lord always, but whoever hardens his heart will fall into calamity. 
In the New Testament, Jesus began his first recorded sermon with what we call the Beatitudes. That's in Matthew chapter 5. And in that sermon, Jesus used the word blessed or happy nine times. And in those nine statements, Jesus answers the question, who is the person who is blessed or happy? Let's look at those nine statements. His first answer, he says, those who have a humble spirit, not filled with pride, blessed are the poor in spirit. Number two, those who learn how to deal with grief, blessed are those who mourn. Number three, those who put others before self, Blessed are the meek. Number four, those who long to be righteous. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Number five, he says, those who have a forgiving spirit. Blessed are the merciful. Number six, those who have purity of life and soul. Blessed are the pure in heart. Number seven, those who make peace. Blessed are the peacemakers. Number eight, those who suffer for doing right. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake. And number nine, those who are reviled by others. Blessed are you when they revile and persecute you and say all kinds of evil against you falsely for my sake. You know, happiness, in the way that we use the word today, is something that depends upon the variations and the changes in our lives. Happiness, as we often think of it, changes with a person's circumstances. Today, a person may feel happy, but tomorrow, that same person may feel sad. When we 21st century people today think about happiness, you know, we're, we're extremely loose in the way that we use that term. For example, one person is happy with a new house, or a new car, or truck, or a new boat. Another person is happy with their new job. Many, many people are super happy when their favorite sports team wins. People today sometimes spend a great deal of time and effort and money on their hobbies and their pastimes. And if you were to ask them why they do that, you may get an answer that some version of, it makes me happy. 
And the list of those earthly happy activities and attainments could go on and on and on. So it's no wonder that so many people today in our world are basically unhappy because they don't know what real happiness is. But the happiness that God gives is a blessedness that's more than what we may think of today as being happy. The happiness that God gives is an underlying joy that is an anchor. And it's not based on our circumstances. True happiness lies in being content in God's plan for our lives. And that leads us to the Apostle Paul and to our lesson text today from Philippians that Dale read. You know, the book of Philippians is a letter from Paul that he wrote to the church at Philippi while he was in prison as he waited for his sentence. And in that letter, Paul tells his brothers and sisters at Philippi the secret, the secret of his happiness. He says in the text in chapter 4, one more time, not that I speak in regard to need, for I have learned in whatever state I am to be content. I know how to be abased and I know how to abound. Everywhere and in all things, I have learned both to be full and to be happy, to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Now, as we can imagine, prison, prison would not be the kind of place that would bring happiness to most people. And yet here we see that Paul really was rejoicing, even in the midst of that, that hard and difficult circumstance. So how could that be? What was Paul's secret? Well, his secret, as he mentions, as he says, was contentment. Paul had found contentment in God's purpose for him. Back in Philippians chapter 1, Paul told his readers about his purpose. Paul was called by God to bring the gospel to the Gentiles. And in that calling, in that calling, Paul found strength and joy and peace and contentment, even in his difficult circumstances. And that's why Paul could write this in chapter 1 that we mentioned this morning in the adult Bible class. He wrote, but I want you to know, brethren, that the things which have happened to me have actually turned out for the furtherance of the gospel, so that it has become evident to the whole palace guard and to all the rest 
that my chains are in Christ and most of the brethren in the Lord. Having become confident by my chains are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Like Paul. Like Paul, our joy and happiness should be grounded, anchored in our relationship with God and God's purpose for our lives. We can, like Paul, trust that God is doing a good work in us for his glory. We can trust that every situation in our lives is known by God and is accomplishing something either in us or through us. And that's why the New Testament tells us several times that we can rejoice in suffering. For example, Paul says in Romans chapter 5, not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope. James writes in James chapter 1, My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience. But let patience have its perfect work, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. Here are four more things the Bible says that bring us happiness, which most people probably don't have on their list of how to be happy. First of all, Bible says that happiness comes from giving rather than getting or receiving. Acts 20, 35 says, And remember the words of the Lord Jesus, that he said, It is more blessed to give than to receive. So why would giving lead to happiness? Three reasons. First of all, by giving, we free ourselves from the hold of materialism. Number two, by giving, we help those who are in need. And number three, by giving, we become more like Christ. Secondly, the Bible says that happiness comes from Appreciating what we already have. In 1 Timothy 6, Paul wrote, Now godliness with contentment is great gain, and having food and clothing with these, we shall be content. In Ecclesiastes 2, Solomon wrote, Nothing is better for a man than that he should eat and drink, and that his soul should enjoy good in his labor. This also I saw was from the hand of God. For who can eat or who can have enjoyment more than I? Greed causes us to want more and more and more. But contentment allows us to enjoy 
what we already have. When we thank God, when we thank God for life's simple pleasures and blessings, then we stop focusing on what we don't have and we can find happiness in the things that we do have. Thirdly, Bible says that happiness is found in receiving God's grace. In the sermon I preached last month on the subject, can we know that we are saved? In that sermon I mentioned a passage in Psalms 32. And in that chapter, David wrote this. Blessed, or happy, is he whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man to whom the Lord does not impute iniquity or sin, and in whose spirit there is no deceit. Now the word impute in that passage means to charge to someone's account. There is a relationship that a faithful Christian can be in with God in which there is not an imputing of sin. So what greater joy and happiness could there be than to know that we are saved if we're living faithfully, if we're walking in the light, and that God loves us and has forgiven us of our sins. Receiving God's grace. And fourth, the Bible says that happiness is found in our future hope. Proverbs 10.28 says, The hope of the righteous brings joy or happiness. Romans 12.12 says, Rejoicing in hope. In 2 Corinthians 4.17, Paul says, For our light affliction, which is but for a moment, is working for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. You know, one of the joys of the faithful Christian life is that we can know the end of the story. We can know that Jesus will return and take us to heaven to be with him forever. And that hope should fill us with joy and happiness even in the middle of the struggles and trials and difficulties of this life. It's been said that true happiness consists of three things. Here they are. Number one, something to love. Number two, something to do. And number three, something to hope for. Now for the faithful Christian, God is the one that he or she loves, first and foremost. God's service, serving God, is the something that he or she is able to do. 
and God's approval and eternal companionship is the something that he or she hopes for. And that, that is true happiness. In putting this sermon together, I found an article written by a preacher in the church called The Secret of Happiness. And the writer of the article the preacher pointed out that a good answer is based on using each letter of the word joy to give us the priority, you could say, of true happiness. The J in joy stands for Jesus first. In Matthew 6.33, Jesus said, Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added to you. The O stands for others second. In Mark 12, 31, Jesus says, the second commandment is this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. And the Y stands for yourself last. Others have souls. Other people have souls that we should try to save. In Psalms 126, David describes the winning of souls of others in terms of planting and harvesting a crop. And here's what he says. Those who sow in tears shall reap in joy. He who continually goes forth weeping, bearing seed for sowing, shall doubtless come again with rejoicing, bringing his sheaves with him. We can sow and reap in joy. But that will never happen unless we put ourselves last. The secret of true happiness is indeed very simple. Jesus first, others second, and yourself last. Patrick Henry, the famous Virginia statesman and politician, Patrick Henry was a wealthy man. And before he died, he left a, a will in which he gave all of his material wealth to his children. And Patrick Henry concluded his will with these thought-provoking words. There is one more thing I wish I could leave you all. The salvation of Jesus Christ. With this, though you had nothing else, you could be happy. Without this, though you had all things, you could never be happy. So does God want us to be happy? As we already said, yes, he does. But God doesn't want us to seek after the phony, fleeting happiness of this world. 
Instead, he wants us to experience true happiness that is a lasting joy that only he can give. Real happiness, true happiness, comes from being in a right relationship with God. And any other kind of happiness, any other kind of happiness is not real happiness, but it's just a, a temporary substitute. As we already mentioned, Psalms 144.15 says, Happy are the people whose God is the Lord. The happiness that God gives can only be experienced if we have a committed, faithful relationship with God. It's the result of truly loving and trusting and serving God. So are you in, are you in that right relationship with God today? Ask yourself that question. If not, you know, the first day of the new year would be a good time to change that. If you're not a part of God's family, the church, added to the body of Christ through belief in Jesus as the divine Son of God, turning away from your sins in repentance, confessing the name of Christ, and being immersed in the waters of baptism for the remission of sins, if you haven't done those things, then you have no hope of eternal salvation. And you won't have the happiness you can't have the happiness that God offers that we studied and talked about today. If you're a Christian but you haven't lived faithfully as you should, if there is public sin in your life that you need to confess in a public way, whatever your needs today, Christ offers you his invitation as together we stand and sing.